Welcome to the Lean Blog Podcast. Visit our website at www.leanblog.org. Now, here's your host, Mark Graben. Hi, this is Mark Graben from the Lean Blog. This is episode number 52 of the Lean Blog Podcast for November 3rd, 2008. Our guest today is Dan Markovitz. He's the founder and president of Timeback Management, which is a corporate efficiency training firm that specializes in the application of lean manufacturing principles to business processes. And Dan is a regular contributor to the Lean blog, so many of you may recognize his name, and now you get to hear his voice talking about uh, lean and office and administrative business process type settings. So I hope you enjoy the podcast. If you have any feedback or questions, you can communicate with us by going to leanpodcast.org and looking for the blog post for episode 52. Again, our guest is Dan Markovitz from Timeback Management. Dan, thanks for taking time to join us on the Lean Blog Podcast. Thank you very much for having me. I really appreciate it, Mark. Well, I was wondering if you could, if, if we could start by having you introduce yourself um, a bit to our listeners. Um, they, they may have read your blog and 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 seeing information on your website, but if you could tell us a little bit about your own Lean story and you know how you first learned about, first got involved with Lean. Well, uh, obviously, my name is Dan Markovitz, and uh, my company is Timeback Management. Uh, originally, I started with Lean back in 1992 or 1993. I read Jim Womack's book, uh, The Machine That Changed the World, and that pretty much flattened me. I, I, I was amazed by it. And it had nothing to do actually with the reduction in waste or the lower cost of producing cars or the faster throughput of cars. What really struck me was the respect for people, which right. is, of course, one of the things that people often, often lose sight of when they are talking about lean. It's all about getting rid of waste. But really, respect for people is at the core of lean. It's one of the pillars. And that's what got me. Here's a company, this enormous auto company, that viewed its employees as real assets, not just as hands, but as minds, and not just as, as a cost, but as, as, uh, as an asset that could really help move the, help the company grow. Everyone, and that's from the, top of the, from the top of the pyramid to the, the lowest level employee. Mm-hmm. And I thought, wow, this is... This is a radical way of thinking about work, and this is a radical way of thinking about an enterprise. And uh, that really lit the fire, and that, that really stimulated my interest in, in this thing called Lean. Sure. So from that initial spark, um, what, what was your first opportunity to, to start putting some of those practices in, in, into action? Well, it, it actually gestated for a good many years. I went through several, several careers after that. Um, which I won't, don't need to go into now, mm-hmm. but it was about three or four years ago that I started doing this current line of work, which is uh, consulting and helping companies eliminate the waste in administrative processes. And uh, what I realized, what I saw over and over again were people who were uh, stressed out at the office, who were forgetting things, who were, who were just wasting time and wasting energy, doing things that were adding no value at all to the organization, no value at all to the customer. And I realized that over the years, I developed my own lean work habits, whether it was the creation of checklists to make sure that things were done on time, um, to uh, a better form of organization of information so that I wasn't wasting time looking for stuff. Mm-hmm. And I started putting the pieces together and saying, hey, wait a minute, you know, this ties into that lean stuff that I read about. 
And then I started going back and, and reading more about it and reading more about blogs and, and, and uh, reading things coming out of the Lean Enterprise Institute. And, started, and I recognized that the way that individuals work in a business process, uh, or let me, let me say this, that the business process is just like a production line. It's just that the, the, the product is usually non-tangible. It's not physical. And, um, and I realized as well that the, the work that individuals do in a business process can be improved and waste can be driven out just the same way that working on an assembly line, attaching a bumper or a, or a side view mirror to a car, mm -hmm. um, that process can be improved. And, and, and so in the work that you do through time back management, maybe you can tell us a little bit about the, the methodology and, and this you know, specialization, if you will, of, of applying lean to administrative processes, what type of um, engagements you have with people, what you what you see, what types of um, improvements people are able, to, you know, organizations are able to make by eliminating waste from you know knowledge work or uh, you know office type settings. So one thing that I want to clarify is that there there are an awful lot of people who who do value stream mapping and business process improvement, and that's obviously very very important. There's a huge role for lean there. But what I look at really is the way individuals work. It's sort of lean at the individual desktop level. Um, the way I often describe it, the analogy I use is that if you think about a, um, uh, I think about a business process as sort of a relay, uh, people spend an awful lot of time working on the handoffs, making sure that there's the shortest, the, the handoff between this department and that department is as smooth and fast and effective and efficient as possible, and that's great. The problem is that if the runners are slow, you, the relay team is still going to lose. Mm -hmm. A runner has to be efficient. Uh, he or she has to be able to get around the track quickly. So my goal is to make people faster runners by driving out the waste in their own activities. So, for example, um, uh, I, I'll, I'll work with people I worked with a law firm who, with a, a bunch of partners there, and one of the things that they, the value that they added as a partner was not billable hours, just cranking out time, but it was actually business development. The firm expected them to spend more time mm -hmm. finding new business, and they were not spending a whole lot of time. And in working with them and trying to understand how they individually process their work, handle all their client demands, uh, and and making a more efficient process, creating better work habits, creating standard work for them, bringing 5S to their individual workspaces, creating a cadence for their high value work. We were able to increase their, the time that they were spending on business development by about 25% uh, over the previous amount of time they had spent. And so that time's leading to, uh, I would assume, more sales and, and revenue impact on, on the business instead of um, thinking about lean as uh, as cost cutting, that sounds like a nice outcome. Exactly. Um, I mean, I suppose you could call it. Uh, the focus there was generating clearly was generating more um, more work and more revenues for for the firm. Uh, okay. So that's well said. It wasn't just about reducing costs, unless you consider, of course, that they have a salary that they're pulling down or a share of the of the partnership's revenues or, or profits. So now they're. Um, we're driving down the cost because they're you know, being paid. Uh, we're not paying for, for stuff that's not adding value. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to follow up on one phrase, one word that you used when you talked about creating a cadence. 
in, in mm-hmm. somebody's work. Um, makes me think of, uh, of tack time or, or rhythm in a production operation. Can you give an example? How, how would that apply for a lawyer or a consultant or any other you know, individual knowledge worker? That's a good question. Uh, when I think about a cadence, uh, again, any, whether it's a lawyer or an accountant or someone in marketing or PR, they have, they're working on a production line. And they have, unlike someone working on a physical production line, they have multiple value streams running through them, which makes this all the more complicated. But let's take these lawyers, for example. They had to do business development activities. And what they would find is at the end of each month, they'd see their, uh, the number of hours on a report of how much time they spent doing promotional activity. And they'd say, oh, gosh, I didn't do enough. And then the next week, they would try to cram in a whole bunch of time. <laughs> Yeah. And so their current clients would suffer or they themselves would be squashed because their current clients who are actually paying the bills say, well, we need you now. And so they would have to try to fit in their client work and their business development work and all the other things they have to do. So instead, we started saying, OK, let's create a cadence. What is an appropriate amount of time? What's the rhythm for going out and doing business development. Is this something you need to do every day? Is it something you need to do twice a week? Is it something you need to spend an hour on or three hours in each, each week? And building that into, the, into their work schedules so that they were able to uh, create some level loading, some hey junka of that kind of work. So instead of it being some sort of fire drill at the end of the quarter, right, at the end of right. the month, now, all of a sudden, yes, here's the two-hour two block of time or here's the three hours per week that I'm supposed to be doing. And although it seems simple, and of course, like lean, so, so much of it is simple, but it's something that no one really thought about in the crush of the phone calls and the emails and the knocks on the door and all the other crises that would erupt during the course of the day. They wouldn't realize that they need to keep a cadence. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like what you're describing is, is intentionally having a planned rhythm to your work instead of just being reactive or, in the, in the, the example you gave, overreacting when you realize, whoops, not enough time, now we're going to overcompensate by spending more time, which I'm sure perpetuates a cycle of now they're not spending enough time somewhere else, and then they overreact. and Exactly. And so you lead to, and, yeah, you, yeah. you've actually gone in a little bit farther than I've thought through this, but that's exactly right. And so now their their production scheduling is is all over the dish. You know, it's oh my gosh, we got to make more Camrys right now. No, now we have to make more Priuses. No, now we have to make more Avalons. Um, the factory can't work that way. Mm-hmm. They have to have some sort of predictable flow. Now, there's always going to be some sort of variation in there, but there's a predictable load to that, and that creates that creates smoother workflow for everyone. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think of my own work um, as a consultant. There's always some unpredictability, but um, there, there's there's some ability to to be able to plan and and, and not be as reactive. I, I can see the benefits from from applying that to um, looking at a weekly calendar or a monthly or a quarterly cycle, or you know, not waiting until the last month of the year to try to get all of your required training in. For example, like some people. Yeah, might not might not end up having to do. You but, know, there's a fear. I think when when I work with 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 people in knowledge workers and administrative processes, they say, you know, there's so much unpredictability. I don't know what kind of fires are going to crop up, and yeah. that's absolutely true. You can't create a cadence for everything uh, because you can't control everything. There's always going to be problems. There's always going to be unforeseen issues that that crop up. 
Uh, however, we can create a cadence. We, we can create standard work for things that we can control. And to not do that is a terrible waste or leads to an increase in waste and it leads to an increase in inefficiency. So let's control the things we can. Your, your sales efforts, your business development efforts, for example, Mark, as a consultant, you can schedule that. You can't schedule what your clients are going to need, right. for sure. You can't schedule what problems are going to happen. But some of those things, your bookkeeping, your accounting, your expense reports, you can totally put that into a schedule and create a cadence for it. Mm -hmm. And your accountant will love you, by the way, if you did that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, I wanted to go back and touch a little bit on um, 5S and, and visual management in an office setting. Um, what, what examples you can share of, of, of that being effective? Um, I, I think in you know, factories, there's times where you know, people just put tape around everything because like, oh, the consultant says we have to put tape around everything. <laughs> and sometimes you see that happening in office settings. There was a, a story... Um, a lot of the listeners might be aware of it. it was on the blog a while back, uh, an accounting firm in the UK where you know made the media that government accountants were up in arms that they were having to put tape around their phone on their desk and tape marking where the keyboard could go and you know, and stuff like that starts to seem a little um, trivial or or silly. Um, there, there's got to be a better opportunity than that. I was wondering what what thoughts you had on 5S and visual management. Yeah, I, I think that the, um, to quote you, Mark, that the tape around the phone and the keyboard is, is an example of lame and not lean. <laughs> um, yeah, 5S does have, have a role and it does have a place. Mm -hmm. And the place in a knowledge worker, a knowledge worker's world is to help the knowledge worker access the tools of his or her trade and to access the things that they're working on. In this case, knowledge workers always working on information. Mm -hmm. You're in a business process, you're working on information. So how can we create, how can we apply 5S, deploy 5S, so that people are able to access the information they need quickly, efficiently, and without error? Where your stapler goes couldn't matter less, <laughs> as long as you can actually find your stapler. Sure. Put it on the floor, put it on top of the computer, put it in a drawer, it doesn't matter. Um, but if you have to look for your stapler, that's a real problem. Mm -hmm. Similarly, if you are spending five minutes looking for an email, well, I've got 14,000 emails in my inbox. I know, first I'm going to sort by sender. And because my boss sends me an awful lot of emails, I'll have to spend another three or four minutes sifting through the 200 emails from him to find the one email that has the attachment that I'm looking for. That's not really good. That's that's an exercise in frustration. It's wasted time. It's time that's not spent creating value for the customer. Mm -hmm. So applying 5S, bringing organization to one's information, that makes a lot of sense. So how are you going to organize your physical files so that you can find the stuff you need when you need it? How are you going to organize your electronic files? How do you organize your, your, uh, your email? And the statistics are staggering. You know, there are uh, – this was – in 1997, the Wall Street Journal did a, had a, an article that said that executives are spending six weeks a year looking for information, not actually doing anything, just mm -hmm. looking for information. Wow. And that was 1997. That was before email really came, came on strong. And you can only imagine that the situation has gotten worse. Oh, of course. Uh, and I, I see it all the time. People saying, oh, yeah, I, I, can, I can find it. I, I can find that. 
And unless they're a savant, and there are some savants for sure who really do know where the exact email is or the piece of paper. Right. Unless you're a savant, that's just pure, pure muda. Uh, so figuring out a system to organize that information is, uh, is I think, smart 5S. It's 5S uh, that's intelligently applied, and it really does help mm -hmm. solve problems, and it really does help reduce waste. And uh, do you have any quick tips? Uh, I'm, I'm sure everybody listening has to manage and deal with email at work. What, what, what are some guidelines or, or ideas that, that you share with people? Well, the first thing is that uh, people hold on to emails as though they're some sort of family heirloom. And <laughs> in general, e emails are, they're more like a, you know, a quart of milk and yeah. they go bad after a while, after a week or two weeks. You know, e email is a, tends to be, not exclusively, of course, but I'm speaking in generalities, tends to be a very transient, very ephemeral kind of communication. If I send you an email, Mark, it's because it's something that you either need to do for me or something that you need to know about for the next week or so. After that, for the most, very often, it's garbage. And so the strongest suggestion I can make, or the first suggestion I would make is to throw out email, mm -hmm. just throw it out. I mean, I, I, I'm perhaps a little, a, a little to the extreme uh, in tossing stuff, but there are very, very, very few times that I've actually regretted not having an email. Yeah, uh, it really hasn't cost me a whole lot, and I would argue that even if it has cost me something, some effort in recreating um, some information or some effort, some extra time reconnecting with you, say, to to figure out where we were. Uh, I've more than made up for that cost by being more productive during the during all the other hours. Mm -hmm. so, so that's you, the first thing. I'm yeah. sorry. Go on. No, I was, I was just um, curious. Uh, you're talking about getting rid of emails, and if we have a cleaner inbox, I guess there's less time required to search through, like that scenario gave of looking through the list of boss emails, which one, if there's fewer there, easier to find, right? Exactly. There's also, I, I should add, it's not just a matter of, of spending time looking for it. There, there really can be a huge cost. Um, I don't know if you remember, in 1999, I believe it was, uh, NASA sent up a, a satellite, not a satellite, a, a, a spacecraft to Mars. It was called the Mars Climate, uh, Climate Orbiter. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was supposed to orbit the planet and take atmospheric samples and radio back. And the, the spacecraft blew up in orbit. It turns out that the, uh, the problem was, and you may remember this, that there were two engineering teams, basically. One was the flight engineers and one was the design engineers. One was working in English units and one was working ah, in metro. That's right, yeah. It blew up in orbit uh, because they didn't make the conversions. Now, the conversions could have been made pretty simply, uh, but they got the units wrong. Uh, but here's the kicker. There was an email about this exact problem that was sitting in the flight director's inbox mm. along with, I don't know, 4,000, 14,000, 40,000 other messages. Once, and it said, hey, we've got this problem. Before we go into orbital insertion, we need to, we need to make the conversions. Otherwise, we're going to have problems. But because it got pushed down below the fold, you know, your, your screen, you can only see, what, 15, 20, 30 emails. Once it got buried, she forgot about it. She didn't know about it. So she couldn't look for something that she didn't know existed. Mm -hmm. And that's a real problem. So... Helping to get rid of the garbage, even if it's only 10 kilobytes or 20 kilobytes of a message, it's still garbage. Mm -hmm. It takes up space on the screen, and it means that we have a lower likelihood. The signal-to-noise ratio is terrible, and we have a much lower likelihood of being able to spot, find the signal amidst the noise. Sure. 
Um, so that's one. That's that's certainly the, the first thing that I talk about. And then we can, if you're interested, at some point, I can I can certainly talk more about manage, management of email and, and how it ties into lean principles. Sure. And you know, hopefully, we can do another discussion. I know there's more we can delve into. And uh, you know, if, if any of the listeners have questions for Dan, and and, and there's enough to prompt um, a second podcast, you know, please send feedback uh, via the podcast page that's there on the blog. Um, you know. Personally, I'd, I'd like to do another discussion with you, but maybe we can steer it towards what kind of feedback or question that uh, the listeners have. I would love that. And uh, you know, to, to wrap up, you know, I appreciate you sharing some thoughts and um, ideas for us. If people want to follow up with you, if they're interested in you know, a, a applying lean concepts to, to their own work or within their organization, um, you know, how, how, I guess first, how can people contact you? And, and secondly, what types of services do you provide, um, training, consulting, things like that? The best way to contact me is through, uh, is via email, of course, and that's uh, dan at timebackmanagement.com. My website is timebackmanagement.com. People can uh, email me from there, just obviously send me an email. They can also call me. Uh, The the kind of services I provide are... uh, Generally, I work with with organizations, whether it's uh, nonprofit, governmental, for profit, doesn't matter. And I'll do anything from a one or two hour seminar to full on uh, multi day hand, hands on implementation and deployment of the lean principles, mm-hmm. uh, creating consensus within the organization about what are the what kind of standard work is necessary, what kind of policies should be taken on, so that people then have uh, uh, ownership of the lean transformation. They start to they start to make the changes by themselves in their organization in a way that works for them. I can only, like I think most lean consultants, I can only provide some ideas and a starting point, but the actual, um, the actual implement, implementation and the, the adaptation to the idiosyncrasies of each organization has to be done by the people who work there. I'm not sure if that answers your question. <laughs> no, I think well, I think that gives people a starting point. I'm sure they can uh, learn more by going to your website and uh, reaching out to you. So again, Dan Markovitz was our guest today. Um, really want to thank you, Dan, for taking some time out, and um, it's good talking to you live after uh, all the interaction and participation through that you've done on my blog and, and interaction through your blog. So hopefully, we can do this again sometime soon. Pleasure was mine, Mark, and uh, thank you very much for having me. Thanks for listening. This has been the Lean Blog Podcast. For lean news and commentary updated daily, visit www.leanblog.org. If you have any questions or comments about this podcast, email mark at leanpodcast at gmail.com.